From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour as we launch into our 24th year on the air. Thanks to uh, the wisdom of uh, Bishop Wigand, who idea it was to start this uh, program, and uh, Bishop Soto, who has carried it on, and of course, all our wonderful guests and underwriters, and especially you, the listeners. This in, indeed is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, and uh, we're glad at this moment to welcome in Kathleen Domingo, the Executive Director of the California Catholic Conference, representing all the bishops of the state of California. Kathleen, good day to you. Hi, Bob. How are you today? Doing fine. Doing fine. Uh, <laughs> muddling through, waiting for uh, the first 100-degree day to hit here in the Sacramento Valley. Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> we have been having such a lovely beginning to our summer. It's um, unseasonably cool, and I think we're all appreciating it. Yeah, I think maybe I was talking to one of my kids yesterday and saying, I think there's been a seismic shift. Maybe we shifted closer to the coast or something. <laughs> it's like I'll take it. I'll, I'll take, take it, it too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, you you haven't lived that long in Sacramento, right? But uh, you you you've got a, a real dose last summer. I got a dose of those 115. I think sometimes <laughs> we were pushing 120 days when we all fled to the river and the swimming pool. Um, yeah, so I'm happy for a little coastal fog coming our way. Yeah, indeed. Well, uh, tell us, tell us just. Uh, Give give listeners maybe haven't heard you before. Give us a little thumbnail uh, sketch of what what does the California Catholic Conference do? So we um, are the public policy arm of the California bishops. So there, uh, we represent the bishops in the state legislature. We advocate um, on behalf of the bishops public policy priorities for the state of California. We work with the governor's office and the various um, legislative offices here, as well as all of our um, statewide elected officials. And um, we evangelize um, over at the state capitol about uh-huh. our Catholic faith and our Catholic values as they pertain to issues of great importance to Catholics in our state. That's that's a good thumbnail right there. Uh, so- yeah, so we've had, a, we've had a lot of excitement this year so far in this particular uh, legislative session, yeah. So where do you where do you want to start with that? <laughs> well, um, you know we're seeing some trends that I think might be interesting for people. Um, last year, we know was just a really big response to the federal Dobbs decision, uh-huh. um, and California really setting itself up as um, a sanctuary for abortion, um, and you know a, a provider of abortion with, with over $220 million of our budget, state budget spent funding abortion, abortion expansion, abortion providers, and then, of course, um, abortions themselves for women in state and out of state. Um, this year, there are a few abortion expansion bills, but um, really uh, things have shifted in a variety of ways. Um, and one trend that we're really seeing that is a little concerning to us is just a trend um around some of the gender questions, um, but also some just healthcare questions, where we're seeing conversations in the legislature really kind of pitting parents against educators and healthcare providers over who um, should be the authority over um, what is best for children. And that's something new that we're, you know, taking a look at and, and wading into um, in conversations and in, in ways that we're making presentations. Um, to just really, you know, try to hold that line that say uh, that says that parents are the primary educators mm-hmm. of their children, mm-hmm. and while there are some bad actors, of course, everywhere, um, you know, for the most part, for the vast majority of parents, they really love their children and want what's best for their children, and really know their children best. And so, um, it is important that we maintain parents as partners in decision making around. Um, things that happen at school, things that happen with healthcare, and all of those things for young children to just make sure that they are being cared for in the best possible way. So yeah. that's kind of an interesting little shift that we're working on this year. Yeah, and it, it seems to be sort of nationwide. We're we're seeing those kinds of headlines, and I'm I'm seeing it in my own hometown. And uh, it's no no matter where people are on on the the actual issue that, that we're talking about, whether it's healthcare or, or, or anything else, uh, I, I've, I've known as a parent 
when my kids went on a field trip, I, you know, I had to sign away everything and and who's who's our medical provider and uh, I remember uh, my son when he was about six was on a farm field trip and fell off a tractor or something and scraped his knee and and we immediately got a phone call you know like like what <laughs> like we we're, we're thinking of putting a bandage on it is that okay with you you know I mean it was it was that minute and yet they needed parental permission or parental okay and, and and yet on the quote unquote big things, it's like suddenly there's this body of, of thought that parents aren't to be trusted, you know. And and, and I, I don't and, and I mean you, you when you compare the difference between a, a getting a, a shot of penicillin or a tetanus shot or something because something happened at school, uh, or even an aspirin from the school nurse. When you compare those things where it's absolute, you know, solid, you have to have parental permission to the big stuff, which suddenly it's it's OK. Uh, the, you know, we don't trust the parents to know the kids. And, and, and it's it's to me, it's it's even more than that. It's like we I, I have six kids. I know how different they all are. I know which ones have, have had some anxiety problems and which ones don't have anxiety problems and which ones one day think this and the next day think that, you know. No teacher knows that. No educator knows that. No principal knows that. And yet the kid can walk into school and say, I want to do this or I want to be that. And if it's, if it's on a certain issue, well, then they, they cannot tell me. It, it's Correct. it's mind-boggling again as i say no matter where you are on that particular issue the issue of parental notification i i i just think is sacred right and i think yeah i think you said it beautifully there you know and and just to make sure that our readers are aware of what exactly we're talking about um or listeners sorry um, yeah. um yeah a student even a high school student right can't take a tylenol or a claritin or something as simple mm-hmm. and over-the-counter as that um, without parental permission, written parental permission, right, right. Um, on a campus, but a child as young as 12 can get an abortion, can um, get a prescription for birth control or emergency contraceptives. Right. Um, now in California, um, and and possibly expanding, there are some bills pushing that can um, can um, take advantage of any mental health um, services, including potentially enrolling themselves into um, and in. Uh, in facility treatment, mm-hmm. um, they, they can um, they can change their pronouns. They can ask to be called by a different name at school. Um, they can even seek um, puberty blockers and things like that, all without parental notification. So this isn't just parental permission; it's parental notification. And so, um, as we push more and more, you're correct. It's it, it is around specific areas. Um, although there have been, there were even conversations this year and last year around vaccinations for children that young, and that um, some of them are vaccinations around diseases that we traditionally you know consider sexually transmitted diseases, but even around the COVID nineteen vaccination, mm-hmm. um, again just that understanding of um, you know there are some parents who um, maybe have different understandings than what the state thinks <laughs> are best is best for the child. Um, whether it's the Department of Public Health, whether it's the, the, um, the Department of Education, you know, whatever, um, and certainly healthcare providers. Um, and, and like you said, there are a lot of contraindications for some of these treatments and some of these approaches um, that parents would know that children may not even be aware of or may not know how to articulate. Yeah, and I mean, so, um, yeah. it's very important that you know, parents have a, a strong say in some of these interventions that could be really life-altering yeah i, I like i say if if uh, um my child again no, no matter which way i i might go with what the child mm-hmm. wants to do i i would uh, gee uh you're thinking of what um well i know i know her better than you do or i know him better than you do way better and I, I would like to talk to them about this. I would like to, as, as their dad, who has been with them from, from day one, and, and, and my wife, of course, would want to talk to them as their mom 
I mean, to think that uh, they can leave, uh, the scenario that I always come up with is uh, the kid goes off to take a math exam in high school and leaves for a quote-unquote confidential medical procedure or, or an abortion, and the teacher can't tell us. We go to pick him up at school, and the teacher, uh, how'd the math, how'd the math test go? You ask the teacher, and the teacher, um, because you can, as a parent, ask a teacher about your minor's math test, and mm-hmm. and the teacher is put in the position of, well, Sally didn't take a math test. He he can't say that because then he's going to have to say, she went, mm-hmm. she, she left school. Well, right. why she, why didn't she take the math test? You know, and, and so. He has to, he or she, the teacher, has to, I guess, lie or say no comment? Or what do they say? We put the teacher in, a, in an untenable position. Yeah, I, I think it puts, you know, a lot of folks in an untenable position. So the teacher, potentially school administration, yeah. potentially the school board. You know, I mean, there are a lot of different levels there of people who really disagree with some of these policies and um, and I think, you know, to, to your point, I mean, it, it is very important that we recognize that most parents really love their children, know their children, are involved in the lives of their children, and want what's best for their children, and are willing to do what it takes to provide what's best for their children. So in these instances, the legislators will, you know, really cite some extreme examples mm-hmm. of neglect. Um, of children who are in foster care or perhaps children who are unhoused and perhaps children who are, um, you know, somehow um, alienated from their families of origin or things like that, to which, you know, I think the appropriate response is then, then special, special circumstances need special results or, mm-hmm. or special mm-hmm. decisions made to assist those. But for the vast majority of children who live with maybe one or both parents or, you know, at least some guardian who really knows them and wants what's best for them, um, it, we really have, we can't legislate for the peripheries. We have to legislate for the majority and then create special circumstances for those who don't fit um, those scenarios. So it, that is something that um, I think people should be concerned about. If, you, you know, if your listeners have children in the state of California, um, you might want to find out a little bit more about this and, and talk to your kids about these things because um, a lot of people don't know, you know, you should prepare your children um, to, to really let them know, I will talk to you about anything, anything at all, and please come to me, and I will be here for you. Because, um, you know, so often I think children um, just haven't had those conversations with their parents, even at really young ages. And so when it's encouraged for them to find someone at the school or find a healthcare provider or someone else in the community um, to speak with about these very personal and very um, important issues, uh, you know, that really should happen at home. I think it's important that we encourage family conversations around some of these topics. So, yeah, um, it, so that you know, so it's a both and. We're working at one end to try to rein in the legislature, but we also need our families um, to understand this is happening and do some some work at the home front too. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point, uh, Kathleen, about about the the, the you, you don't rule just for the exception. You don't make the the general rule for everybody for the exception. Um, you try to obviously include the exception and, and, and take that into consideration because every person is valuable, um, but, but you don't make a rule because one kid is, in a, is maybe unhoused or, or has a, a bad living situation or whatever, or, uh, you know, and, and really needs something different. And, and there's always, you know, there's always, uh, it's a little bit complicated, but it's always going, going to court to, mm-hmm. to protect this child, you know. Um, if, 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 I mean, I think if, if teachers or administrators see parents doing something completely contrary to the best interest of a child, there's always that. But it, for the most part, I think, I think teachers and, and counselors, they want, they want to do best interest of the child, but they don't know the child the way the parents do. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So what else exciting is happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there are some really good things going on. Um, you will probably have heard that um, we've had 
some migrants brought to California recently, um, just as recently as yesterday, actually, in the LA area. And then a couple weeks, or last week, you know, two different groups of, of migrants brought to Sacramento. And right. while the circumstances around um, their shipment um, is questionable and, and um, really unfortunate in some instances where I think some politics got involved and um, kind of over you know, a, a concern for the well-being of these migrants who have just gotten to the United States and really need some help. Um, what we found is that um, our Catholic charities and, and partners that we have here, both in Sacramento and in L.A., really rose to the occasion and were just really wonderful and helped out these folks. And we had, we were well-prepared. I know yesterday in Los Angeles um, we have a, a parish down there that um, had already been set up as an emergency shelter for migrants. And so really rose to the occasion quite nicely when they heard that, that there was a group of migrants coming their way and were able to house them and, and help them out and find all of the resources that they needed. So it is really beautiful, even, you know, as we kind of see these headlines and the headlines are so polarizing, right. to realize that the work on the ground um, within our own Catholic community of welcoming our neighbors um, you know, many of whom, especially the, the migrants that arrived yesterday, were families, were women mm-hmm. and children, um, and, and some, they said even some infants and toddlers. Wow. And so um, really, you know, to have a welcoming place where they were, where they were loving people to, um, to bring them inside and to, you know, work with them and find out what they needed and how they could be helpful, um, I think is very, very important. Yeah, so, that, I mean, so there are some shining lights in our community. Yeah, that's what... I mean, that's what our faith is about. And uh, again, leaving the politics out of it, the uh, the notion that here here all these people arrived and uh, were let off the bus, basically, and didn't know where to go, uh, who to contact, um, didn't, for the most part, speak the language. Although, fortunately, we have a tremendous number of people who do speak that language um, here. Uh, and And so what do we do? We take care of them. Uh, let let the politics sort itself out. We're gonna we're we're not gonna say, well, I'm on this side of the political issue, or I'm on that side of the political issue. We're we're not gonna deal with you. We'll let whoever did this deal with you. Our faith just deals. Welcome the stranger among you. Exactly, and I think that that's a really beautiful testament, you know, to who we are mm-hmm. and how we work um, as a, a faith based faith filled people um, who will say, you know, politics aside. Um, I don't care how you voted, but these are neighbors. These are people. And if it were you, if it were your family, you know, needing to migrate to a different location for um, usually very serious reasons, right. um, wouldn't it be wonderful if someone welcomed, you know, your, you yep. or your family members with open arms? Um, and so that's, that's really a beautiful point that so often gets lost amid, um, again, those headlines that, you know, we see in sort of the talking heads on TV is just, the work on the ground of so many of our, our Catholic brothers and sisters to welcome these folks. Yeah, and, and I wished, you know, and I, I followed it pretty closely and, and, and read a lot about it, and there was very scant coverage of, well, what actually happened to these people, you know, um, that, and fortunately I knew, I knew what was going on, but, but I don't think most of the readers did, you know. Uh, they just knew about the, the the battle between governors and et cetera, you know. And and um, but as, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but most of these migrants, I won't say well, were here legally in that they had a- actually are going to have a hearing on asylum. Is that correct? Right. So the the, the migrants that came to Sacramento, um, particularly, were. Um, for the most part, they were young adults um, mm-hmm. and even children. So between the ages of about 17 and 19, they were overwhelmingly young men. Um, and, yes, they all came with um, a court date right. <laughs> and paperwork ready for them um, as they sought asylum. So they were brought to Sacramento and, you know, very famously now, sort of dumped at the front door of um, the, the Diocese of Sacramento. Right. Um, when I spoke with Bishop Soto, he had actually gone to visit them, and he said, you know, Catholic Charities stepped in and, and got everyone um, situated at mo- at a motel and, you know, brought in some partner services here in Sacramento um, that were able to provide um, additional resources and then help them sort out, okay, where do you need to go? And mm-hmm. some of them were as far away as New York or Chicago wow. or whatever for their court dates that, that you know, they must meet in order to um, 
to pursue their asylum proceedings. So, um, so really help them to find ways to get to where they need to go in a timely manner and with some additional resources to help them along the way. Um, and it, so it's lovely that, you know, again, our, um, our Catholic programs, that's what they're there for. And that's yep. what we all, when we donate, when we volunteer, when we contribute, you know, so the, these folks are doing this in our name as the Catholic community. Um, and Bishop Soto said it was just lovely to meet with these young people and um, really, you know, provide them a blessing and, and chat with them a little bit as they um, went on their journey. And he was really oh, happy to be able to do that. How, co- how comforting for them. To, to have the Bishop of Sacramento come and, and greet them and bless them and, you know, talk with them and, you know, speak their language and uh, really, really understand. Yeah, that's that's very remarkable. And I'm sure the same thing happened in Los Angeles as, as well. Um, exactly. You yep. know, it's so how, how would somebody and, and I've, I've heard that. Why, why would somebody cross, say, in El Paso and then have a court date in New York or, or Chicago? <laughs> Those are all very good questions. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I think there's still a lot of confusion about that. You know, sometimes um, the way that all of the immigration um, law works is that they have to find locations for people to go through the courts. The courts are so backed up. And immigration issues are um, very often things that take years and years when they should be on a faster track just because our courts are backed up. And the process itself is just arduous. And so um, people do come in, you know, their um, you know, point of entry could be very, very far from where they need to end up for mm-hmm. their court date. And, um, and so it does become um, really burdensome for these folks to have to find out, you know, they don't even know, the folks that landed in Sacramento didn't even know where they were going. They didn't even know where Sacramento was. Right. And so then to say, well, actually, you've got to be <laughs> on the other side of the country in a very short period of time. Right. Um, was very confusing to them and and so um yeah so that's why you know it really is important that there are organizations like Catholic Charities and and so many others of our partner organizations that are able to meet people as they um come into the United States and to just offer some assistance I mean it's I don't know about you but um you know when it was time for my son to get his driver's license when it's time to you know fill out insurance forms when it's time for even pay taxes, right? Which are normal things. We all speak the language. We've done these things before. It's so confusing. Yep. <laughs> Anything from yep. the government. Is <laughs> I... <laughs> so imagine, you know, being a young person, not speaking the language, never having seen government forms of any of this kind, never, ha- you know, not even knowing where you are in the country or really a sense of how large the United States is. Um, it could just be so overwhelming. Um, and so it really is a beautiful um, act of charity for um, it, volunteers and for these different organizations to step in and help these folks. I, I really, I really relate when you said driver's license. It's like <laughs> uh, we had we had three all got their learners permit at the same time. You know, they were they were all a year apart, but for various reasons, they all one of them didn't get it hers when he was sixteen, and of course, the boy wanted to get his right at six or fifteen and a half or whatever it was. And it was like <laughs> just this nightmare of getting appointments and 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 you know the driver test, and and then you have to have taken driver training and all these all and then the insurance, you know, of course, which is like a mortgage payment, and it's like, exactly. yeah, and I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, how difficult it is in in a, a country that's that's completely foreign, and you know that uh, you have a, a, a hugely important hearing coming up. That if you don't, whatever, if if the, the the decision is not in your favor, you're right back at well, you're not even at square one anymore. You're you're back where you came from, and and that's right. that. Wow, I mean, to right. think of how hard those people work to get here. Uh, the, the notion that uh, they came on a whim or came somehow to take advantage of us, I, it's just not the case. Correct. Yes. And so, again, it, you know, it, is, it has been a um, very polarizing moment. And um, like you said, it's another opportunity for these for governors, you know, to really kind of battle head to head. But um, just within our community and our understanding of, welcoming the stranger and you know our understanding of um our brothers and sisters across the globe i think it is a really good opportunity for us and a lot of catholics around the state have asked how can we help Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you know the answer really is um to get in touch with your local catholic charities there's catholic charities um in every diocese in the state and you know they are um very often collecting um not just um 
financial donations, but in some instances, if, if they have people, you know, right there that need items, um, they've been asking people to actually um, do that as well. So um, there's, there's something that everyone can do to help. I did find it amusing that uh, almost without exception, the media, whether it was print or, or electronic, decided the pastoral center was somehow a church. they weren't they just weren't quite sure what kind of they would show the photo of the pastoral center but then they they came up with all these different things to call it they were you know including church you know so Mm -hmm. but we do have mass in the pastoral center but there is a chapel yeah it it was different it was not the correct place to um to welcome folks and so that was part of the problem yeah 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 so uh other things you're following in the legislature? We are working um, on a variety of bills um, around um, child care. Uh, there was actually just a report um, that I saw this morning that said that um, average co- annual cost of child care for toddlers um, around the country has now reached $10,000 a year. For, for one <laughs> so, kid? For one child. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that's average around the country. So some places have significantly more and some yeah. places have quite a bit less. So, you know, we are, we're, we're working on um, some of those issues. How can we help parents have greater access to quality child care if that's what they choose to do? Um, and, um, and how can we help the child care industry um, so that people are getting paid an appropriate wage, um, but, you know, not so much so that parents are not able to make use of that. So that's, a, that's something we're working on. Um, we're working on some bills around um, incarcerated parents and really supporting mm. the idea that um, parents who are incarcerated need to have um, um, visitation from their families. And so um, one bill we're supporting would say that um, that folks should be incarcerated as close to their mm-hmm. homes as mm-hmm. they possibly can be um, so that they can see their children. Another one is something very simple that says um, – Parents of small children, infants and toddlers, should be allowed um, to um, bring in um, toys for their infants and toddlers and bottles of formula or whatever, you know, so that they can have a longer visitation mm-hmm. with their loved one who is incarcerated. Um, things like that that we don't really think are problems until we realize they are. And so we're happy to say, because we know that, um, that folks who are incarcerated who have greater opportunity to visit with their loved ones, especially their families on the outside, have much, much less recidivism later because they know they have something to go to and they have a plan and things like that. So, um, so we're, we're happy to work on some of those issues. Um, we've been following the fentanyl crisis very closely this year, and we're supportive of some bills um, that would um, um, encourage Narcan use or, or mm-hmm. Narcan to be mm-hmm. um, at schools and other places um, so that people, if they need them, they can have them. We're watching that ongoing debate um, and hoping that there will be something done very soon um, to limit the amount of Narcan that's on our streets. I know um, there was just a report that San Francisco uh, intercepted, I think it was enough Narcan just in the last few few weeks um, to kill the entire population of San Francisco four times over. I mean, we're getting to the point where this is just ludicrous so- now, and it's terrifying on our streets and so can, something really does need to be done can um, schools about. currently can they currently um uh have narcan to administer um for a fentanyl overdose i'm sorry do schools is that what you asked can can schools have the antidote the the to, to overcome fentanyl or is that yes. against they're allowed to have it they are, so there's a bill right now that would mandate that would say would mandate it, okay. mm-hmm. and that would also um, provide um, some of that, um, uh, like a good Samaritan law, so that there's there's no um, liability for um, right. providing that. And, and I think that that's very important because a lot of people have suggested, um, well, I'm not sure, you know, if we can have Narcan available um, because of that liability question. If we administer Narcan, is that are we going to be? But I think overwhelmingly now we're just learning and knowing that, you know, fentanyl is so common on our streets, and it really is incumbent upon all of us for people who just have no idea. These are not people trying to overdose so often. They're people thinking they're taking something completely different. 
um, and just the slightest amount can, um, yeah. can just kill you. And, and so, you know, that, that's the heart-wrenching testimony of so many parents in the legislature this year who have come to share that story. Um, to say, you know, my son thought he was taking an ADHD medication, mm-hmm. um, and it turned out to be laced with fentanyl, and there was, you know, we had no notice. So, yeah, my, my so old home, there will be. Yeah, my old hometown of Portland had like three juveniles die in like a week period of fentanyl overdoses, and uh, the exact story you just told, you know, the parents. Uh, said that they didn't think they were, you know, they were taking that. They didn't had no idea they were taking fentanyl, and um, it's you know it, it, we we tend to I, uh, sometimes it seems like we 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 blame the drug dealers who who deserve plenty of blame, but it's the demand, you know, a, a drug yeah. dealer. <laughs> if, if if he's selling something nobody wants, he's he's out of business real fast. But the 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 drug problems have. It's especially fentanyl. It just seems to have taken the country by storm. I, you're right, and and as you say, I mean there are a myriad of, um, you know, points of contact in this process where there there could be a legislative or a public safety intervention um, to find a solution. So at the le- at the level of the sellers, at the level of the producers, um, and obviously at the level of the folks who. Um, are, you know, facing addiction and how do we give them some help and how do we alleviate, you're right, that demand um, for fentanyl. It's, um, it really is um, just a terrifying prospect. And so it's something that we're watching very closely and hoping the legislature can come to some agreement on in the future. Yeah, I, I, I was reading a, about uh, somebody who's unhoused and was, was on fentanyl and uh, the city of Portland was... Uh, they were trying to stop it, and they they would if they found you in possession, they would give you a a, a ticket to appear, and you had to pay a hundred dollar fine. But if you called this phone number and and tried to get into rehab, then they waived the fine. You know, well, kind of mm-hmm. was a, that was a good idea. But the the newspaper was interviewing this one guy who says, "I don't want. I tried to get off fentanyl. It was." horrendous it wasn't just as as easy as psychologically quitting he said physically it was so bad that i i when somebody mentions rehab that you're going to get off this he said i i can't do it i can't even face that prospect and i you know i didn't realize that it was that you know i mean i know it's addictive but and i know there there are many substances that if you've got an addiction to it's really hard to get off but this this was really uh, seared into me like, wow, that's yeah. really a serious problem. Right, and, and fentanyl is not the first drug in the line. Right? Right. People become addicted and addicted and, and, and need something stronger and stronger. So by the time they get to fentanyl, the fact is that it is so very addictive um, that it, it is very difficult for anyone. Um, not impossible, and there are interventions um, but again, it, that is, it is very hard. And so, you know, all of the, the um, interventions that take place for, uh, further down the line or maybe up the line, depending on how you're talking, you know, with, with people when they first start or to, to um, get them to not start at all is far more um, necessary for us to be focusing on, I think, um, and, and to just really letting people know this is not the way to go. Let's, let's help you find something else that you can do instead, right? So, um so we are definitely working on those kinds of issues. Um, and, and there are some other housing issues and things like that that we're working on this year also. Um, again, you know, California has um, a, a large and very diverse population, and that means we have large and very diverse challenges in our state. And so um, Sentinel is one, housing is another, and sometimes these go together. And so um, we're very happy to be working on a bill um, as before that would um, allow for um, the building of low-income housing on um, religiously owned properties. Mm. So some of our parishes and dioceses and even religious communities um, very often have land that they're not using. And sometimes right. that's one that has been donated. And when someone um, passes away, maybe they, they donate land or, or something to um, either a religious community or to a diocese or a parish. And so um, we're looking forward to that bill's passage and, um, and looking forward to learning then how the dioceses and parishes can make use of that, that new law, hopefully, um, that will allow us to really provide some supportive housing, some low-income housing to to individuals and families who could really use it. So, so are they currently banned from from building on their own property? It has a lot to do with tax codes and tax rates. Uh-huh. Um, so this this particular um, 
law would say, or this bill would say that um, that they can keep the um, the religious nonprofit tax rate, but mm-hmm. still provide that housing. And so that's really the incentive, right? But right now it's really prohibitive. Um, most dioceses, especially at this moment, when some of our dioceses are, um, you know, in a little bit of financial constraints, um, would not have the money to be able to um, develop on their properties right. unless add those tax breaks and could incentivize um, developers in that way. Right. Well, I was happy to hear you mention, too, on uh, the the people incarcerated and, and the bill to try to get them closer. I mean, the from Pelican Bay to San Diego is probably, what, 800 miles or something. And we had somebody on a, a while ago from, you know, get on the bus. And, and that was the one question I asked is how how much in in sentencing, how much is taken into account how close they are to family? And apparently in many cases it's it's not much of a consideration and i understand there are different levels of prison and etc and 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 yes it fits the crime not where the guy's from or, or the woman's from but still um as you say you know 99.9 percent of the people currently incarcerated are one day going to be back in society and it's better for them but it's also better for society that they uh don't reoffend. And, um, and so this, this bill that we're working on definitely says, you know, whatever is the closest facility that meets their needs. So as you say, there, there are different grades of um, seriousness, you know, of the crime that fits the facility. Um, but taking all of that into account and then adding um, that um, real priority of saying, can we find whatever facility that fits these needs that's closest to um, this person's home or this person's family. And so um, I just think that that's, that's really humane, right? It's, it's a really humane way of looking at this and treating people with um, respect for their human dignity to say everyone wants to be with their families as much as possible, and especially these folks who are going through this really difficult time in life. And how, I mean, just, you know, thinking logically, how much would it benefit um, that person to have a family come and visit on a regular basis and see their progress and appreciate the hard work that they're doing inside. Um, I just think that that would be um, so beneficial to them. And so we're, we're very happy to be a part of, you know, support for that legislation. Uh, can, I, can I assume that hopefully that one might have pretty strong bipartisan support? It does so far. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would. I would hope so. And and it seems yeah. like they would. I know it's bipartisan is is a, a rare word these days, but uh, um, that that's encouraging. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kathleen, uh, you've, you've <laughs> we've run flat out of time, but uh, there's there's I know there's an awful lot on your plate, and we greatly appreciate uh, what you do and and you taking the time. I understand that uh, you're going to be the keynote speaker at the Bishop Gagos Maternity Home Dinner. I am. I'm very excited about that and just so humbled and grateful for the invitation. Um, I have actually not ever even been to the to be able to go and, and visit and um, learn a little bit more about what they do um, on the ground. Um, I know, you know, in theory what they do and just think that they're so beautiful. So I'm excited to be with that group and, um, and really share just a lovely evening um, of gratitude for these beautiful people who run such a wonderful organization and all of the, the women and the children and the families that have gone through that program because um, that's exactly what we need to be doing. It's nonpartisan. It's non-confrontational. It's all about just loving people. And that's yeah, exactly I, I tell my friends that uh, uh, if, who use the term pro-choice, I say, if you're pro-choice, you should come to this dinner. Because these people are providing choice. Exactly. You know, yes. and, and, and also and if you're pro-life, come to the dinner. Mm-hmm. But, but right. you know, I mean, they are they're truly providing choice to women who uh, feel like they don't have a choice. And it's a, and so uh, many of those folks have been vilified in the past yep. you know year or two, um, and so it really is a beautiful opportunity just to stand in that gap and say, this is what we do. And even if others don't understand or don't appreciate it, we know that this is saving lives yep. and saving souls and it's bringing people closer to Jesus, um, those who are helped and those who are helping. And so that really is what it's all about. Absolutely. Kathleen, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, God bless you and all the folks you work with and all those legislators, no matter what party they're in. And uh, <laughs> uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. 
Excellent. Thank you so much, Bob. Take hey, care. Thank you. That's uh, Kathleen Domingo, the executive director, California Catholic Conference, and uh, they represent all the bishops of the state of California. And, and they deal primarily with uh, with the California legislature, the governor's office, and, and all the statewide uh, you know elected officials, whether it's a, the attorney general or secretary of state or what it is. Uh, uh, they they take positions on bills. They they advocate for bills. They advocate against bills. Uh, they don't represent any political party they represent the catholic church and uh, catholic church is pretty pretty hard to pigeonhole um sometimes uh, one party will be that that'll be a bill that they have that uh, the church is in favor of or against and sometimes it's the other party so um uh, and sometimes it's neither party and hopefully uh, w- with a lot of these things uh, there's bipartisan support like there used to be a fair amount of in the old days well we'll take a quick break Back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at the thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrusites. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. Hi, this is Brian Visitation, Director of Media and Communications for the Diocese of Sacramento. You're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Brian, for that uh, wonderful introduction. Appreciate that. Uh, so much, go- so much going on here in the uh, Diocese of Sacramento. Should tell you that the uh, the uh, Priest and uh, the the uh, vocations dinner is coming up on Saturday, the twenty fourth of June, at uh, St. Paul's in on uh, Florin Road. A wonderful, wonderful event. Uh, still time to get your tickets. Uh, contact uh, uh, your uh, local parish or con- uh, the the Knights of Columbus because this is sponsored by the Knights of Columbus. Uh, also, the uh, the. Bishop Soto honors all of our the altar servers during this uh, this wonderful event, and uh, it is uh, s- such a such a joy to re- hear their name called. And they come bouncing up to the podium and and get a certificate from the bishop and uh, shake his hand and get a photo p- uh, taken. And uh, uh, it's it's a it's a beautiful part of the evening. You get to hear from. Uh, our seminarians, uh, who are in a, a various stages of their of their uh, studies for the priesthood, and and uh, you get to hear their stories, and uh, it's just it's just a wonderful evening. It's very inspirational, but it's also it's also a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> I haven't met a seminarian yet that didn't have a good sense of humor, and uh, about about how they they got on this path, and. Uh, it's just it's just a wonderful evening. Uh, you can uh, uh, contact uh, you can go to scd 
org, or you can contact the Office of Vocations as well, uh, 916-733-0258, and tell them you want to come to the dinner. starts at 4 o'clock on Saturday the 24th. And if you look at, uh, you know, our seminarians here, we'll just share the, the names of some of them with you. Uh, Benjamin Condom, who is uh, in his pastoral year, uh, Spanish immersion. Benjamin Condon is uh, from uh, St. Mel's in Fair Oaks. Uh, uh, Ivan Franco Martin is in a pastoral year in, Sp- in, in Spanish immersion at this point. Victor Goronov, uh, seminarian program. Matthew Grimm is in the propode- propodetic uh, program, the first year. Eric Patrick, uh, uh, his, uh, <laughs> a priest, a father. And uh, Scott Whitaker is in theology. Ralph Tronke, uh, Zachary Sturm, and Alejandro Marquez, Edgar Lozano Cuevas, and Victor Amador. Uh, those are our, those are our great seminarians here from the uh, Diocese of Sacramento. Also on uh, Thursday, the twenty uh, second, from five thirty to seven thirty at uh, Great. Our great Cristo Ray High School, 8475 Jackson Road in Sacramento, the St. Thomas More Society will present the Father Sylvester McDermott Award for Integrity to Jesuit Father Tom O'Neill, who's uh, currently at uh, St. Ignatius Parish here in Sacramento, but is shortly going to be leaving for an assignment in the Los Angeles area um, again Thursday, June the 22nd. 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at Crystal Ray High School uh, in Sacramento. The uh, World Youth Day Pilgrim Mass, uh, there are three three events for pilgrims who will attend World Youth Day uh, with Bishop Soto. Uh, a bishop invites you to gather and participate in a Mass being celebrated at St. Isidore in Yuba City in July and then at St. Anthony of Lisbon, that's St. Anthony de Padua, in Lisbon in August, and then there will be dinner after uh, both of those masses. Uh, St. Isidore, of course, is at that, and that will be at uh, Saturday, July 1st, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at St. Isidore in Yuba City, which is at 222 Clark Avenue in Yuba City. The Quo Vadis uh, weekend retreat for boys ages 13 to 17. Uh, July 28, 4.30 p.m. to July 30th at 2 p.m. Boys ages 13 to 17 will learn about the priesthood, the diaconate, and married life. Uh, There will be time for fellowship, games, mass, adoration, and more. Uh, So uh, two two night overnight there uh, starts on a Friday and ends on a Sunday afternoon. That's all at Trinity Pines Catholic Center, a beautiful facility in Colfax. Cost is $85. Uh, then the, the World Youth Day 2003 gathering in Lisbon, uh, Wednesday, August the 2nd, 545 to 8 p.m. They're hosting uh, uh, the, uh, the Mass with uh, Bishop Soto, and then uh, there will be a dinner afterwards with Bishop Soto for, for everyone going uh, to World Youth Day in Lisbon. Now, if you're not going to Lisbon, uh, there will be World Youth Day stateside uh, on August 5th from 10 a.m. to August 6th at 1 p.m., and that will all take place at Trinity Pines Catholic Center up in uh, Colfax. So that should be, uh, it's it's a great way to uh, celebrate World Youth Day even if you were unable to go to uh, to World Youth Day, so uh, so much so much happening in the diocese, and, and there there are all there's always uh, other opportunities to uh, the, the Office of Vocations puts together a a uh, long list of the uh, events that they are hosting to, to spread the good word about uh, about vocations, um, the uh, all through June. And, and all through the summer, uh, some of the late late June events uh, on the uh, 22nd of June at St. Robert Parish, uh, uh, 9:45 a.m. The uh, the missionary ch- at, at the missionary charities uh, summer camp, 
Uh, again, the, the annual vocation, 10th annual vocations dinner at St. Paul Parish in Sacramento uh, at uh, uh, 4.30 p.m. The uh, St. Vincent Ferrar Parish in Vallejo on the 25th of June, uh, 10 a.m. and noon. And uh, on the 27th, uh, which is a Tuesday, at Christian Brothers High School in Sacramento, there will be a Mass for students at 9 a.m. So all these things going on for the uh, Office of, of Vocations uh, during the, um, the month of June to spread the good word. Catholic funeral and cemetery services where ministry and employment meet. Uh, they are having a job fair on Friday, June the 23rd. Uh, they say, we believe in our employees and our ministry at Catholic funeral and cemetery services of the Diocese of Sacramento. You get to access your talents and receive God's vision to help build the kingdom of God. Come ready to serve and leave transformed. There are multiple positions available. You can go on the website and uh, CFCS, that's Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services, cfcssacramento.org. The job fair will be uh, Friday, June 23, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at St. Mary Cemetery and Funeral Center, 6509 Fruitridge Road here in Sacramento. For more information, call 916-452-4831 or again, uh, Catholic Funeral Cemetery Services, cfcssacramento.org backslash jobs. Uh, uh, Great pay, benefits, perks, everything you would expect from a large company, health insurance, 403B plan, sick time, vacation, etc. So, uh, Give them, give them a call or show up at their, uh, their job fair. Well, the Holy Father is uh, about to uh, be released from, uh, from the hospital uh, for uh, having a hernia repaired. So uh, we, uh, we, we uh, wish him well and uh, hope, he, hope he has a, uh, already having a speedy recovery. He has announced uh, just yesterday plans to write a document dedicated to St. Therese of Lisieux. Uh, uh, this is from uh, Catholic News Service. Uh, individuals become Christian because they have been touched by Christ's love, not because they have been convinced or coerced by someone else, Pope Francis said. The Catholic Church needs missionary disciples who have hearts like St. Therese of Lisieux, who draw people to love and bring people closer to God. Let us ask this saint for the grace to overcome our selfishness and for the passion to intercede that Jesus might be known and loved. Let us ask this saint for the grace to overcome our selfishness and for the passion to intercede that Jesus might be known and loved. These are the words of uh, the Holy Father, Pope Francis. Pope continued his series of talks about zeal for evangelization by focusing on St. Therese, 19th century French, French Carmelite nun, who is patron saint of missions and a doctor of the church. Before beginning his general audience, the Pope walked with his cane to a large reliquary containing the relics of St. Therese that was placed on a table near where he sits to deliver his catechesis. He placed a large white rose before the, the ornate reliquary and stood a few moments in prayer. During his catechesis, he announced he was planning to dedicate an apostolic letter to her to mark the 150th anniversary of her birth this year. And that I, I know that will be uh, greatly anticipated by uh, so many people who, who follow uh, uh, St. Therese of Lazeau. It's uh, one, one, one of our great saints. Uh, Francis has said he has a special devotion to her, once telling an interviewer that he used to keep a photo of, of this 19th century French Carmelite nun on, nun on his uh, 19th century French Carmelite nun on his library shelf when he was Archbishop in Buenos Aires. He told journalist uh, Sergio Rubin in 2010, when I have a problem, I ask the saint not to solve it, but to take it in her hands and help me accept it. And as a sign, I almost always receive a white rose. Uh, St. Therese displayed patience, trust in God, and a spirit of humility, tenderness, 
and goodness that God wants from all of us, Pope Francis said. During his uh, general audience talk, he asked Christians, to, the Pope asked Christians to find inspiration in the life of St. Therese, who lived according to the way of littleness and weakness, defining herself as a small grain of sand. She lived in poor health and died at the age of 24, but her heart was vibrant, missionary, the Pope said. The Carmelite nun wanted to be a missionary and served from her monastery as a spiritual sister to several missionaries accompanying them through her letters and prayers. Without being visible, she interceded for the missions like an engine that, although hidden, gives a vehicle the power to move forward. The Pope added, she is, she is the power of intercession moved by charity, such as the engine of mission. Therefore, missionaries are not only those who travel long distances, learn new languages, do good works, and are good at proclamation. No, a missionary is anyone who lives as an instrument of God's love where they are so that through their witness, their prayer, their intercession, Jesus might pass by. St. Therese's daily resolution was to make Jesus loved and to intercede for others, the Pope said. Following the examples of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, her zeal was directed especially toward sinners. The Pope said uh, the church needs hearts like Therese's, her hearts that draw people to love and bring people closer to God. One does not become a Christian because they are forced by someone, but because they have been touched by love. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless everyone. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in health care, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, you can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of, ministry, of Mi Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, they continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're, they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. Four six zero zero, and we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, long-standing support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town. Uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento, who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour, uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. 
down. 